Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you for joining us. Wonderful Wednesday morning. Bright and sunny where you are, I hope, because it's not where I am. It's been dreary and rainy and yucky for a lot of the a lot of the week so far. It's been wet. And it seemed to be uh, dreary and yucky for the United States men's national team last night in Frisco, Texas. No rain, but there was uh, certainly not a high level of play on that field as the United States downed Honduras 2-1 to one and got a little, I don't know, fortunate for, for, uh, fortunate in that victory. Certainly two set pieces from Glenn Dempsey is not the way that you want to go and win your first Gold Cup match if you're looking to set a tone for the tournament. But they got the job done. Talk about that game and some other U.S. soccer storylines. Our friend Charlie Bohm join us in, in a couple of minutes. Talk to Charlie about that uh, that particular formation and the players that Jurgen Klinsmann used in that match. Because uh, you look and you can find a lot to be annoyed about. Jossie's artist, is he a midfielder? Nah, I'm not so sure about that. Is DeAndre Yedlin a midfielder? Or if he's a if he's a midfielder, is he a midfielder that you want out there for ninety minutes, covering a flank against a team that's pressing you the way that Honduras was? Is that center back pairing the pairing we're going to see throughout the tournament? Because it's awfully young, awfully green, didn't really respond well to the intensity of a Gold Cup group stage match against a team. Again, give Honduras incredible credit; they, they took it to the United States. Jorge Luis, Luis Pinto has made a major difference with that Honduras team. They might be trouble down the line. The United States needed Clint Dempsey to pop up in the right place at the right time. They needed lots of last-second interventions on the defensive end. They needed Honduras to not be able to hit the target. And they needed Brad Guzan to make a save or two. And they conceded but only the one. So <clears throat> the United States moves on. Meanwhile, in the first game of the evening, Panama and Haiti tied 1-1. Panama up late in that match, and then Haiti fi- found an equalizer. Good for them. That uh, puts takes a lot of pressure off of Honduras and the United States, to be quite honest with you, that that game ended in a draw. The U.S. women's national team realm, midfielder Lauren Holiday, formerly Lauren Cheney, has announced her retirement from uh, international soccer at the age of 27, talking about going and starting a family. She's married to New Orleans Pelicans player Drew Holiday, who has been an incredible supporter of the national team, of his wife and the national team. So, uh, the, I saw a picture of him and whoever that eagle is that's dating Julie Johnston. They were together hanging out, celebrating the, the U.S. women. So Lauren Holiday steps aside. From the international game, quite the resume for Lauren Holiday. Absolutely no, uh, I mean, obviously for, for a fan, it's a little disappointing to see her leave at such a, a young age, but uh, with everything that she's accomplished, she certainly has nothing left to prove. Speaking of the U.S. women, they'll go to New York on Friday. They were in L.A. yesterday for their celebration tour. They'll be in New York on Friday, and they'll receive a ticker tape parade down the Canyon of Heroes in New York City, the the traditional stretch 
that um, the championship teams go down in their celebration parades. It's not ticker tape anymore. I think it's confetti, but the effect is essentially the same. The U.S. Women, the first. I, I don't think that this has ever been done for a national team, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but uh, the city of New York deciding to give the U.S. women the parade they deserve uh, with that ticker tape parade down the Canyon of Heroes. U- Atlanta United FC has made their name official and unveiled their logo ahead of their 2017 inaugural season. If you watched any of that last night, um, Ahead of the U.S. game, you saw the logo. If you're on Twitter, you saw the logo. It's a big A. There's like some black and white, uh, black and red stripes behind it. It's a circle. It's gold. The actual A and everything is gold. Sort of lukewarm on it, but it's not as bad as it could have been. Let's say it that way. Not still not a fan of the name. Still think they could have gone <clears throat> a little bit more creative. But in terms of that logo, eh. It is what it is, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I find it difficult to work up a whole lot of angry energy over these things. The United name offended me a little bit because it copies names already, a name already in the league, and they had several good options on the table. The logo is a little bit of a different story. Raheem Sterling has been asked to has asked to be let uh, left off of Liverpool's preseason Asian tour. This is uh, likely leading into his departure from Liverpool. He wants to leave. Pretty sure the fans don't want him around anymore. So it's probably best for everybody involved if Sterling just decides to move on. But there needs to be a deal made. Liverpool has already rejected two offers from Manchester City. But Manuel Pellegrini's side are expected to return with a third bid which will be close to what Liverpool values Sterling at, which is £50 million, $77 million. It's a lot of money for Mr. Sterling. Back home here in North America, CONCACAF has severed ties with traffic sports. This comes after their reform statement the other day. Whether or not that bears fruit, we'll see. But CONCACAF and Traffic Sports have decided to part ways and dissolve their commercial rights agreement. Confederation said that this was a mutual decision. Of course, really, Traffic really had no other option considering what's been going on. The investigations Traffic founder Jose Hawila has already pled gr- guilty to a number of charges in the indictment from the FBI and the Department of Justice. Aaron Davidson has been indicted and is looking for a plea deal. What this does is free up the rights to the next four Gold Cups, 2015, 17, 19, and 21, as well as seven seasons of the CONCACAF Champions League plus other sundry tournaments. Those are your biggies, and traffic no longer has the rights to them. Paul Tenorio down in Orlando is reporting it's very unlikely that Javier Chicharito Hernandez signs with the Orlando with Orlando City. Negotiations between MLS and Hernandez have stalled over the fact that Hernandez wants $10 million a year. Now, uh, that may not be more than he's worth, but uh, certainly would be an MLS record, and you have to wonder if MLS is willing to step up. Now, they did step up and may pay $8 million a year to Andrea Pirlo, and they've offered a reported $9 million a year to Giovanni Dos Santos. 
So if Chicharito Hernandez could have the impact that a lot of us think he could, why wouldn't you pay him $10 million bucks a year? I don't know. Chicharito is asking for north of $10 million, so maybe it's a little bit more than that. A number that would make him by far the highest paid player in the league. That number also does not factor in the transfer fee. Ah, maybe here's the rub. Manchester United reportedly asking for $12 million for that. There you go. This league would benefit from Chicharito Hernandez. But uh, that may be a bridge too far for Orlando and MLS. All right, let's step aside for a moment. And when we come back, we'll have Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com and SoccerWire.com. We'll talk to him about the game last night, maybe the U.S. women, maybe Andrea Pirlo, maybe Chicharito Hernandez. You never know. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. You're talking too loud. This week, the U.S. Men's National Team kicks off its campaign to try to win back-to-back Gold Cups for the first time since 2005 and 2007. As many of you know, the past month of Women's World Cup and Copa America coverage have been augmented by our sponsor, Rabble.tv. They've given people like me, Jerry Dubois, and Thomas Floyd an opportunity to provide you with an alternate commentary to several memorable games. Now that the Gold Cup is kicking off, we're going to continue our relationship with Rabble. Each U.S. game over the next week will feature a Rabble audio broadcast, including Friday's game, where I'll be bringing you USA against Haiti, as well as Monday, July 13th's game between USA and Panama, which will feature audio dialogue from World Soccer Talk's Cardiff Krishnayer. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. You're on the red, white, and blue with Rabble.tv today. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, joined by our friend Charlie Bohm. You can find him on Twitter at CBOEHM. He's on SoccerWire.com. He's on MLSSoccer.com. He's in a bunch of different places. And uh, he joins us from lovely, humid Washington, D.C. this morning. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing great, Jason. Doing great. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Let's uh, let's talk about the, what the U.S. men did last night. In Frisco, Texas, two um, one uh, over Honduras, and 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 I, you know, we can talk about re- results based analysis, but I don't know that there's any place that that's more appropriate than the Gold Cup group stage against a country like Honduras. Uh, well, well, you know, we, I think we probably had an idea of how this conversation would have gone, uh, thinking about it 24 hours ago, and it didn't quite unfold that way. Everybody expects Gold Cup games to be a slog. But I don't think many people would have predicted the U.S. would be outpossessed, sure. uh, would be outshot, that would have a, the arguably the busier goalkeeper in Brad Guzan. Uh, it was, uh, yes, it was the result they needed. That was the bottom line to get off on a good start. But this was not proactive, nor would I consider this next level football. Okay, so are we going to are we going to sound any alarm bells? Are we going to move to DEFCON four in light of of what we witnessed last night? Um, if only because I don't know that I trust Jurgen Klinsmann uh, to mm, to fix it, uh, ma- mostly because of the personnel, because I see that as the major problem. Yeah, you know, it's certainly no alarm bells. This is this is um, 
a, he's taken a professional, let's say a, a professional and a practical approach to this tournament. Um, we can talk all day about the roster. I think this is a, a strange roster and one that's not necessarily well suited for the four four two shape that he seems pretty set on uh, employing at the moment. Um, but he's got a lot of experience. He's got uh, veteran savvy, and that certainly came to the fore. I mean, you had two classic, um, you know, strikers finishes from Clint Dempsey. You had some really important moments from Michael Bradley, even though I, I, he wasn't quite as dominant as I had expected him to be yesterday, you know, coming into the game. But he um, he was class when he needed to be. The delivery on the game winner from a set piece was fantastic. Um, uh, Honduras, a little strangely, I think we're kind of a mess on set pieces. The first goal came in the aftermath of a corner kick. But, you know, I certainly would hope that we'll see some improvement over the course of the month because I don't know that this is the kind of performance that's going to get them where they need to go in the business end of the tournament all right so the the veteran savvy comes to the fore in the form of michael bradley seppi's delivery clint dempsey getting on the end of things just putting the ball in the net as we were told is his job uh, as he's no longer the captain charlie and yet uh, at a position on the field a couple of positions where you would think uh, experience might be worth something and let's put in somebody who's been at least in something approaching this envi- environment, Klinsman goes with uh, Ventura Alvarado, his first competitive cap, and John Brooks, who's 22 years old and has shown inconsistency throughout his U.S. men's national team time. Why? Uh, well, you might not know why, but what did that? What did that actually? How did that actually manifest? Yeah, it's interesting. We talked a lot about the about the age of you know the experience of this roster, but the defense is pretty young. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have. Um, all that much experience, and a, a big part of that, I think, is that Jurgen has kind of scooted um, scooted a few, few guys to the margins, or maybe out of the picture for now, at least entirely. Um, so his faith in Ventura Alvarado seems pretty ironclad. I think he's going with what he sees in training. He's basing that some of that a lot of that faith on the the level at which Alvarado plays, which is a you know Mexico's biggest club, um, Club America. So he's he's getting you know good minutes in 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 a high level Liga MX comp- competition, but he's, he's out of season right now. Right. So he's coming in with probably less, uh, match sharpness than some of his teammates. And I think you could kind of see that with, uh, Chandler as well. I mean, for me, Timmy Chandler remains the biggest enigma in the, uh, in the picture right now, definitely on this roster. And you saw signs of it again last night. I never know if he's about to hit, uh, you know, make a game winning contribution or if he's about to commit an enormous gaffe. Um, and so when you, when you kind of add up those pieces along the line, you have the youth of Brooks, you have the relative lack of international experience that Alvarado's working with. And then you have a, a real wild card like, Chandler, it's um, it got a little dicey at times there. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal in particular, I thought Alvarado's inexperience showed. Um, Jurgen wants his defenders playing on the front foot, uh, trying to snuff things out before they happen, but he was very much caught off the pace uh, on the initial ball, delivered into a kind of a, a ball designed to tease him out of his position, mm-hmm. and he took the bait. He dived in and he left an enormous gap that was rapidly exploited by Honduras. So. Uh, a learning experience for Alvarado. Uh, I'm sure it would be Jurgen's uh, take on that, but he, he's going to have to learn faster. Yeah, absolutely. As as for Timmy Chandler, he always looks like he's in discomfort when I watch him play. It never looks like he's uh, he's really got that uh, that extra gear that that I think is necessary at this level. And and I'm not I'm not going to put Timmy Chandler on not trying. 
I'm not going to question his motivation. I know some people will jump from point A to point B on that, uh, just based on his history with this team. But I don't, I don't understand his position in 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 the side as, as you do. Let's move into the midfield because, and I and I think it would be easy to say, and I did say it last night. I said that Michael Bradley and Kyle Beckerman didn't look like themselves either. But let's remember that all of these things are connected, and you also had playing uh, on the flanks two players who were out of position. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is Jurgen's thing. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know whether he thinks taking them out of their comfort zones is good in this context or he's just sort of playing, um, um, you know, he's sort of just trying to c- construct what he thinks is his best 11 out of his best 11 players. We, we all know every every U.S. coach has been in that position at some point or another where you've got 11 pieces you like, but they don't all fit in the spots that you need them to. Um, I, you know, Fabian Johnson has to be on the field. You know, we know that much, for example, but maybe he needs to be in a different place. Um, Giassi Zardes, I think, has proved he's international level, but is he an international level wide midfielder? Uh, I, I don't see it. And I, I saw examples of him really fighting against his instincts, thinking about things rather than just playing and, and it be getting into a flow that you, the sort of flow that you see him uh, shine in, you know, with the Galaxy. So, uh, I, I don't get it. I think maybe if he tweaks the formation a bit, m- maybe drops a striker off and, and plays more of a 4-5-1 or, or a 4-2-3-1, however you want to look at it, maybe there's a little more comfort can be gained from there. But for now, you know, he's he's building everything around Beckerman and Bradley in cent- center midfield, and I think that's sort of the point at which uh, everything else gets done from. It's uh, It was not the most uh, encouraging performance, and yet here's a, here's a tweet. From Alex, FlyGuy14 on Twitter. Don't overanalyze this, guys. Don't overanalyze it, guys. And I think we do have to fight that instinct a bit, Charlie. And the, the next, you know, they, they've got uh, Haiti next, I believe, on Friday, and then Panama after that. And you imagine that, it, barring an absolute disaster, they're going to go into the quarterfinals against somebody that they should beat pretty handily. So you're looking at possibly three games that, that they'll be overwhelming favorites in. Not that Panama can't give them something of a game, but I wasn't impressed with their performance against Haiti. So now, you know, it, this is an opportunity for Klinsman to work out those kinks within the tournament, which I suppose is uh, the silver lining here. The, the, my, the first sort of the one word that really jumped to my mind at the final whistle, my one-word review, I guess, of that game was, was awkward. And I think that's going to continue. This was an awkward performance for the U.S., uh, but given that, you know, Kudos for getting the three points. The rest of this group is going to be awkward too, because yes, they are the favorites. They're also, uh, you know, facing by Gold Cup standards a tough group assignment. I mean, when you look at the cream puff group that Mexico got dropped into, compared to this, you know, it's a it's a it's a different task for the two sort of uh, you know Goliaths in this tournament. And I think that's going to continue. Haiti is actually, I expect them to be several notches above where they were at in the last go-round. You know, they've been cannon fodder at times in this tournament, but I think they've got guys, a lot of guys playing overseas. They've got a lot more structure and organization in their preparation. Um, you know, they've been doing well against NASL sides in warm-up games, although that's uh, really limited in terms of what, you know, how it gets you ready for the USMNT. But all the same, I think they're going to have to. Uh, the U.S. is going to have to to sort of navigate through this very carefully. I do wonder if we're going to see some changes to the lineup. 
it would make a lot of sense given the short turnaround and significant travel that they have coming up. So we'll, we'll have to see what Jurgen's got in mind there. Well, you know, how, what were you, what did you take away from the the substitutions? Because Klinsmann, you know, he they go to Europe, they beat, you know, they they play very well. They beat Germany. It's a it's a thing. But he's got six substitutions at his disposal, and, they, and, and every one of them played some role in, in those victories. And when he has freedom in a friendly to, to change over his team that much, they've been pretty successful uh, uh, traditionally. But when it comes to the in-game adjustments, sometimes we question whether or not he, number one, makes adjustments uh, uh, early enough uh, to actually impact the game. And number two, we sometimes question those actual substitutions. What did you make of how he how he handled it last night? Well, I actually was musing about this uh, I, during one of their European friendlies. I, I often wonder if if coaches would be better served in so, some friendly environments to actually limit themselves to three substitutions because you know the, there's a, there's a rule of thumb that you can kind of write off what happens after the hour mark or maybe after the seventy fifth minute uh, of a friendly because the rhythm of the game is completely changed and it's mm-hmm. it's no longer a realistic situation. Um, and I wonder with Jurgen there, you know, we, we, those are great results they got last month in Europe against the Netherlands and Germany, but um, you, you, you can't change the game that way in, in, a, in a competitive environment. And I think he does himself a disservice um, with, you know, sort of not really being prepared necessarily for, for what he, what's called for in a situation like last night. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, I, it's strange to see. And it, then again, on the other side, it was a little strange to see Andy Nahar, you know, Honduras's brightest player in the early going, come off pretty pretty early in the yeah. second half. But I think that gives you a little bit of a hint at what these managers are trying to, to juggle with, uh, you know, effectively three games in a week. And, yeah. and, and I would hope, I would love to see a whole fleet of new faces come into the eleven for the U.S. I think there'd be a lot of benefits to that. And and if Jurgen is honest with himself about what he got from the, the starting 11 last night, I think there would be a lot of motivational benefits to that as well. But we shall see. I wouldn't even attempt to predict what Jurgen's going to do next time out. Well, let's flip, let's flip this around real quick and, and just talk about Honduras briefly, Charlie, because I, I mentioned um, Jorge Luis Pinto and, and, the, and the, sort of the, the difference in the, in this, in the um, approach and, and uh, stance of, of Honduras last night as opposed to what we might have expected under previous regimes. He did pull off Nahar. That was a questionable decision. They may have still had a chance to win that game, uh, but as you said, he's, he's trying to juggle some things. But what has Pinto brought to that to that team that uh, you know certainly he had under uh, he had in Costa Rica that, uh, that that Honduras is now showing. Yeah, he's had a bumpy start, right? I mean, the, the last year or so has been a rough one for Honduran footy, and and uh, they had a really. Uh, sort of, I think a long hangover from a really nightmarish World Cup experience in Brazil, but now we're seeing a little bit of what he did with Costa Rica. Um, you know, they, they described last night's lineup as a five-four-one, uh, which was a formation he used pretty regularly with with the Ticos. It's fascinating to watch the uh, the way in which they've sort of seemed to have evolved a little bit more discipline. Though, I think he's got them um, playing with a little bit more sense of clear collective purpose. Um, the defensive structure, the competitiveness, you know, they, they, they were a tough team to break down last night. I mean, the U.S. did not create as much as we would have expected in the run of play. And they were pretty bright, you know, getting forward, finding spaces, carving open the U.S. back line actually with, with surprising regularity. So I think you, you're, you're seeing a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more of a, of a, a concept, a culture, I guess, and and so that that bodes well for Honduras, and I think it's going to make life tough for their their competition in this group for that second spot. 
All right, Charlie. That's uh, that's the U.S. Men's National Team. We'll try not to overanalyze it too much. See what that see what happens against Haiti on Friday. A game that they again the, the while Haiti may have taken a step forward and certainly gotten out of the the shadow of some some uh, distractions back at home and, and can actually focus on some of their soccer. The United States should be ma- should be major favorites in that game. Um, I, you have we obviously know uh, that you've been covering the, the women's game for for a long time, and I and I wanted to ask you uh, number one, your just your your full tournament thoughts uh, as the United States wins uh, the World Cup on Sunday and then also um, your imagine what you imagine will happen next and how how women's soccer can cra- capture some of this momentum in the US yeah it's a it's an interesting moment you know I think um, as I was chided uh, with some justification by a few of my colleagues yesterday by already looking ahead to to what this team has coming up um, yes there, there's a grace period uh, Jill Ellis has won the World Cup she's brought home the third star um, you know they've ended a 16 year uh, championship you know world championship drought so kudos to all that kudos to Jill Ellis for for sorting things out on the fly she had not shown a great deal of adventurousness or tactical flexibility in in the year or so she'd been in charge in the lead up to this tournament uh, but they did they made a significant change to their personnel and their formation in that tournament and it and it you know I can't help but wonder how things would have gone if they'd figured that out sooner and why they had to be in that position. But the, the bottom line was they did. They got it sorted out. And, and now, you know, this is actually a relatively short turnaround. I, I do think they should uh, enjoy the afterglow of this win. But the women's schedule, you know, the two biggest of world events and the events, at least for this team, are the Olympics and the World Cup. So now they have barely a year before the Olympics arrive. And they're they're defending, you know, three straight gold medals. So certainly that's a big event for them. They could effectively move forward with the same roster and, and take that game on a year older, a year wiser. But we're already seeing Lauren Holiday uh, you know, announce her retirement. I expect there to be at least two or three more retirements from this team over the next couple months. They may uh, you know, ride it out through the victory tour and, and announce at some point there. But there's going to be, you know, there's also fewer roster spots on an Olympic team. So um, is Ellis going to be the adventuring um, sort of problem solver she was in the past couple of weeks, or is she going to revert to type and and stick with what she knows? Uh, there's a lot of young talent coming up through NWSL, through the youth national teams, and to me, the, you know, the World Cup, if anything, should prove that that there's real, real, real benefits to be had from from blooding that youth. I mean, Julie Johnson and Morgan Bryan, the youngest two players on this team, were arguably the most important players on this team. And there's more where that came from. So I'd love to see her sort of, you know, stir in a little bit of competition, a little bit of youthful edginess to this group. But I have a feeling we, it, it may be in a very limited quantity. So, um, and, and you know, I, I've got to say too here, again, really got to emphasize to everyone, NWSL is going to be the key to, to developing this talent, to finding the next generation of, of players, not just kids, but, you know, seasoned pros that are working hard at that level. And it's key also for, for everything that, that the women's game needs to do off the field. Urge all your listeners to, to pay a little more attention than they might have before. Mm-hmm. If you can get to an NWSL game, go check it out. Um, you know, let's try and, and sort of convert this great summer into a little bit more uh, collective momentum for the game. Well, you pointed to something on, on your Twitter account that I find interesting, and that's the, 
The competing interests uh, that are pulling on these women in particular. Um, you mentioned that I think this. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was you. I apologize. I've been taking it a lot this morning. But the <laughs> the the celebration tour. They're in LA Live yesterday, pumping up the crowd, singing. I believe that we just won. They're going to be in. <laughs> uh, I know they're going to be in New York on Friday for Canyon of Heroes ticker tape parade that they absolutely deserve. I'm sure there's going to be something in between and and after, et cetera, et cetera. And NWSL is going on right now, Charlie. So. What? How do they balance this out? I mean, they should absolutely have the opportunity to celebrate. I imagine there's some appearance fees that, that, that'll help them and their bottom line. We know that, that some of these women aren't making a ton of money uh, outside of the, the ones with big marketing deals. So how, do, how does a, a, a top woman's player who just won a World Cup balance out her club responsibilities versus you know celebrating and, and making some extra money, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it, there's an interesting question of identity with these players. For a lot of them... Uh, you know they they are required, um, with one very prominent exception uh, being made. They're re- they're required to play for an NWSL club. You know that's part of their job as women's national team members. They are they are full time employees of the federation, but that includes uh, NWSL participation. And we should I should also re- you know point out that that the um, all aspiring national team members for this World Cup cycle were effectively ordered to come home and play in this league, so they could be watch on a regular basis so they could support the league. So there are players, you know, abroad and uh, a, a very talented college uh, product. Um, um, Daphne Corbeau just signed with Manchester City yesterday. Um, and there's a very talented young striker named Lindsay Horan with, with PSG in France. These players are effectively cut out of the national team pool because they're, they're not playing in WSL. Um, and in many cases, you know, they would be having to make significant financial sacrifices to play. Um, but then, you know, there's national teamers who see it effectively as kind of a nuisance. They consider themselves international players first and NWSL players second. And there's others that are the opposite, that, that are very loyal, very committed to their, their NWSL club. So there's an interesting kind of balance there. I mean, we saw, you know, Abby Wambach took this year off and was given that, that, that exception to the rule by the federation. I, I, I get the sense that's something they keenly want to avoid going forward. They want these players sharp and competitive in, the, in that everyday club environment. But but we'll, we'll probably see a little bit of the attitudes kind of reflect themselves in, in how these players go back to their duty. They certainly earned a week or two off from from action on the field. I think they're going to get promoted heavily, even if they're not playing right away uh, by their NWSL clubs. I expect them all to be appearing at NWSL matches this this weekend and, and in the in the weeks ahead. But uh, some of them are, are just not going to have that that hunger necessarily to get back into things after such a draining uh, World Cup experience. So um, I think it's important in the long term. And you know, philosophically, the idea here is that these players are, are being tested and pushed week in, week out in the club situation. The reality is, has been a little sloppier. It hasn't quite gone to plan that way. Mm-hmm. But my understanding is there's important people within the Federation that really want to kind of press out some of those exceptions and, and try and uh, get them on the same page, sort of get back out to the plan of making NWSL the proving ground. Well, certainly there is a long-term vision that requires as much support for NWSL as they can muster. That requires, obviously, the, the biggest name players to be, as you said, at least there. Whether they're playing or not, is, especially now with, it, with just coming off the World Cup and, and deserving of a break, um, maybe that's not as important, but they have, they have, they have to be involved somehow because uh, NWSL can't survive without them. And, and but you don't also don't want to sacrifice. You, know, you don't want to you don't want to alienate anybody, and you don't, you want to make sure that the 
the NWSL is able to stand on its own two feet. And, and all of these things are all very complicated and mixed together, Charlie. And I guess what I'm saying is the, the long-term vision can't miss out on the details in the short term. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I think if a, if a federation, you know, um, employee were to, to sort of answer this honestly, uh, which would, of course, be off the record, I think they would say, listen, the, the, the women's national team is the engine that, that pushes NWSL. It's what funds it. The ticket sales from this victory tour are effectively going to pay for, you know, the salaries of these, these players. Uh, the, the visibility of the NWSL is, is far, far less than, than anything related to the women's national team. And, you know, the women's national team has always gotten priority. I mean, they were playing a friendly match in the midst of the NWSL playoffs last fall, which was sort of absurd when you looked at it. You know, this is a U.S. soccer federation uh, founded and operated and subsidized league, and yet they're undercutting their own product by yeah. playing, you know, women's national team friendlies in the middle of the postseason. But the justification was, listen, this is all about the women's national team. This is all about winning a World Cup. You know, everything comes comes after that. Well, now that that job is done. Great, you won a World Cup. Yeah, now that that job is done, does it go back to the priority being making that the most legitimate competition it can possibly be? I mean, they had the league went on without the 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 women uh, without the US women's players. Uh, without I'm sure some international players as well. Um you know, I, talk, I remember talking to Jeff Kasufa ahead of the tournament and he's, you know, he's basically talking about what amounted to uh, I don't know, part-timers. I mean, we're talking about about girls uh, women who come off um, you know, just got out of college and, and weren't playing amateur professional players, others, yeah. amateur players, or, or yeah, that's right, amateur players who weren't making a paycheck to fill out the numbers. The the league can't take on the importance that it needs to take on unless that shift happens. And now that the World Cup's won, can that shift happen? I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope it's a priority for the federation to at least try. Because it was questionable, and my understanding was some markets in the U.S., some TV markets had NWSL promos happening uh, you know, during women's national team broadcasts this past month. I didn't see any myself. I think there was real missed opportunities. It's a, unfortunately, it's the return of a, of a pattern that we saw you know, in the last World Cup and in the Olympics where you know, when you, talk to, you see these players making all these media appearances on all these big-time mainstream outlets and, and you know, their league and their club may not even get a single mention during that time. Well, you know, okay, I understand. You know, the, again, the women's national team comes first. That's the cash cow. But, but how how are you going to transition? I mean, we're working on our third try of uh, of a women's professional league, and U.S. soccer is not just sort of a philosophically aligned. They are literally running this league. They are they are only separate entities um, in name. You know, so so what are you going to do to sort of add value to that product? It's a little bit more chaotic because you're dealing with nine different owners. There's a huge range in in resources and ambitions and organization quite frankly along among those nine clubs it's a real spectrum so i understand that it's a difficult sort of environment to work in but when you compare it to what mls did you know and, and there's people that think mls overplayed that hand but mls had a bunch of players on last summer's men's world cup team and they promoted it to within an inch of its life right for club and country was the motto for the entire season for mls they made a big deal out of that that sort of interwovenness I really would like to see more of that on the women's side. All right, Charlie, before I let you go, let me turn to uh, the big signing up in New York. And, and uh, I, I mean, on Andrea Pirlo, $8 million a year is his reported salary. Uh, I think that's all well and good. Uh, what, what happens here when we, when we talk about these big signings, and it's going to happen 
with the next one. It certainly happened with uh, Lampard and Gerard, and and for uh, for the foreseeable future, is this sort of zero sum game discussion uh, about development and paying DPS. Just your thoughts on how MLS, and I think this is more of a perception problem than it is an actual zero-sum game where the money goes, but what is your, what do you think MLS needs to do to continue to make sure that they are um, developing the back end, the younger side of things, while also maybe pushing the, the marquee names as well? Yeah, I, I made a comparison here, and I'm, I, I don't have full assurance on these numbers. I'm not certain. I think there's some exceptions that are made, but basically... Uh, my understanding is that is that the annual budget handed down or you know directive uh, from MLS uh, headquarters to the clubs is they can spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year on uh, signing and paying their homegrown players. Right. The the idea being you know we're, we're told that homegrowns are the future of the league. They're the the next generation. They're the key to sustainability in a number of different contexts. Um, but you're limited to spending pretty modest amount on them and again i think there are exceptions made here and there's wiggle room and the the fact that i can't get anyone to give me a straight answer on the homegrown salary budget tells me that it's it's not a hard number but when you compare that uh you know one year of andrea pirlo is going to pay for 53 years of uh of signing your you know maxing out effectively your your off the budget uh number for homegrown players so that's um that's just a little bit of a glimpse, a uh, kind of a crude way to measure this. I totally get it. I'm, I, I understand the Pirlo signing. I think there's um, and, and the Lampard signing. You know, these are guys that that bring not only um, a, a lot of buzz off the field, that sell tickets, that sell merch. They bring a level of professionalism that that can impact their younger American teammates for many many years. So there's a lot of win to it. And if it's you know if it's not your money, or if you have a, a enormous pots of money like some of these MLS ownership groups have. Uh, you know, go for it, right? But where where is it headed? Who's who's his understudy? Is, is there a coherent plan here for for what Pirlo's legacy is going to be? Besides playing maybe a year and a half or two and a half years and uh, and retiring to a beautiful home on the beach somewhere, what what's he going to leave behind? Is he mm-hmm. interested in that? Is the club interested in that? Does the club have a way to to make sure that happens? Because I can look at some of the high-priced signings of the past and, and some of the foreign guys that have come over, and they did leave a legacy. I mean, we certainly have to say David Beckham did. Even hu- more humble guys like Yuri Jorkaev, you know, left a legacy with their clubs and, and taught guys before they moved on. So I think, uh, again, this league is, finds itself in a really awkward position. And to me, the push-pull is um, you're using, you know, your left hand is trying to, to generate revenue to subsidize the more important long-term things that your right hand is doing. That's a really awkward mix. In the youth side of things, we see it you know, with uh, you know, pay-to-play programs are trying to generate enough revenue to build the scholarship programs that can go and find talented kids who don't have the means right, and, and pay their way. Yeah. Um, this came up with Andre, DeAndre Yedlin's situation. You know, it's a whole other matter to get into the training compensation case. But his club you know, made a coherent, conscious decision. They're trying to find as many talents that they can – uh, subsidize their soccer grooming, right? But that's being paid for by parents somewhere else, and and that can all come unraveling when you think about it, because you're effectively asking uh, one set of parents whose kids aren't maybe quite as transcend- tr- transcendentally talented to subsidize the poor kids who who maybe do have that world class talent that can be groomed. So that's 
that's an awkward gig, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't envy them for trying to do it. Um, but I think uh, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered about sustainability and, and long-term balance with with this deal. We won't be answering those questions today, but they are out there. We'll continue that discussion. Perhaps with Charlie back to do that. Charlie Bohm from MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com. Follow him on Twitter, C-B-O-A-H-M. It's great to talk to you as always, Charlie, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Jason. Have a great show. Uh, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, phone lines will be open. You want to talk about that? Or, or 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 the U.S. men's national team, or 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 Lauren Holiday, or the women, or whatever is happening in WSL. Do that right now. After the break, we'll be right back. This week, the U.S. men's national team kicks off its campaign to try to win back-to-back Gold Cups for the first time since 2005 and 2007. As many of you know, the past month of Women's World Cup and Copa America coverage have been augmented by our sponsor, Rabble.tv. They've given people like me, Jerry Dubois, and Thomas Floyd an opportunity to provide you with an alternate commentary to several memorable games. Now that the Gold Cup is kicking off, we're going to continue our relationship with Rabble. Each U.S. game over the next week will feature a Rabble audio broadcast, including Friday's game, where I'll be bringing you USA against Haiti, as well as Monday, July 13th's game between USA and Panama, which will feature audio dialogue from World Soccer Talk's Cardiff Krishnayer. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Cheer on the red, white, and blue with Rabble.tv today. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Wednesday, Soccer Morning. La, 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 la. Sorry, not going to sing on this show. That's not what I do. We talk about soccer on this program. Line up your phone calls, 646-832-3909. Tell me how you feel about the U.S. men's national team coming out of that game against Honduras last night. Let's start off that discussion. Al in Missouri. What's up, Al? Hey, what's going on? I think we should saw the game last night, and I tell you, I'm still concerned with that with that back line. You know, mm. with Timothy Chandler back there, he looked lost last night. He always looks lost, he really doesn't he? Al? He always looks like he's he's just spinning around. Doesn't like he gets up field, and I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Because na- next thing you know, and, and you know yeah. what? It, it is it is complicated by the fact that you got a player like DeAndre Yedlin with him. And Yedlin's instincts aren't, you know, he may, his instincts might be to play to play defensive, but he's also got responsibilities going forward. He's also supposed to help possess the ball, and and it just didn't work. It didn't. It really didn't. I mean, I wish he would have started. I wish Jurgen Klinsmann would have started Brad Evans and Omar Gonzalez last night because you know I think they would have been able to, you know, I think they would have been able to at least. You know, prevent, you know, Andy Nahar, you know, to just go through like, you know, they wouldn't allow Andy Nahar to go through that um, back line like that because Timmy Chandler just looked lost last night. Yeah. No. He, just, he could not stop him at all. And I'm like, this is going to be a long night. So, I mean, so we sh- I mean, we should just be relieved that we won 2 1 and everything. That wasn't against the victory at all, but coming up with some points like that is a relief. 
It, it, look, those are that's all that matters right now. I mean, I I, I hate to be yeah. reductive here. I hate to be. I hate to put so much into the result and, and kind of avoid deeper analysis. And we did some of that with Charlie just now, Al. But the important thing is the three points because if you get exactly. if you get those three points, you line yourself up. You got you got the inside track on the group now because Panama and Honduras drew. So, uh, or I'm sorry, Haiti drew Panama and Haiti. So as long as you take care of your business, you come out of the group as the top seed. You go to Baltimore in the quarterfinals and take on. Uh, you know, again, a, a pretty weak team that that finishes third in their group, and you'll be all right. Exactly. You got anything else, Al? Yes, one more thing on the um, National Women's Soccer League. Um, they have a television. They sign with this television pocket with Fox Sports One. They did sign a TV deal. I don't have the details in front of me. I'll pull those up. But I do know that there's that uh, most of the most of the games that they're showing. I think it's one a week. I mean, it's a national. Um, a national TV deal, but it's it's basically uh, one game a week, and I believe that it's it's all about um, <clears throat> two two cities, Houston, which has a couple of stars, and then Portland, which has the big crowds. Here we go. Uh, just I'm looking at the um, the the release um, here at World Soccer Talk. Actually, uh, on the heels of the successful run by the U.S. Women's National Team, Fox Sports has announced that a deal includes broadcast rights to ten games from the NWSL. Deal includes three regular season matches, all three games from the playoffs, and two semifinal games in the championship. The final championship game on October first. Uh, they'll all stream. Oh, they'll all <coughs> excuse me. They'll all stream on Fox Sports Go. Uh, let's see. Blah 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 blah. Here's the schedule. Uh, Portland versus Seattle. Houston versus Kansas City. Portland versus Boston. Houston versus Sky Blue. Portland versus Chicago. Houston versus Seattle. Portland versus Washington. So every single one of these games is going to be broadcast either uh, from Portland or from Houston. But I imagine there's some considerations there. And this is, again, a lot a lot better than nothing. Yeah, so I hope they do well. You know, and like to see them expand just a little bit maybe in St. Louis, too, because they really, people in St. Louis, you know, they just, they were following the Women's World Cup all this past year and everything. Yep, yeah, they need to do something in St. Louis. Thanks for that call, Al. Appreciate it. It's good stuff from Al on a Wednesday. Right. Let's uh, let's move along. Let's talk to our friend Roberto up in Connecticut. What's up, Roberto? What's up, Jason? I'm just waking up after that bitter performance last night in the United States. Yo, you called it bitter. Oh, it wasn't first gear. It wasn't a little herky jerky. It wasn't a little rough. It was your bitter. Your your bitter or yeah, bitter. Yeah, bitter that they played oh, like that. Anxious, you know, nerve-wracking. Any other, any other words similar to that? Is is there is watching is watching the U.S. men ever not nerve-wracking? No. <laughs> so why would you expect differently? <laughs> I mean, Robert, I, don't know. I have no idea. Come on, I man. Have no idea of it. Okay. Well, hey, but there are there are ways to say that. I mean, you're playing players out of position. Uh, Ventura Alvarado didn't really have a great game, you know. No. What else do you want me to? <laughs> no, I agree. Look, I agree with you. And, and look, we we broke all that stuff down. With Charlie, I thought, uh, while I was not surprised by that, by that lineup whatsoever, based on what I know about Jurgen Klinsman, he did, I mean, you could count, you could say, Yedlin's out of position, uh, Zardis is out of position, you've got two green center backs in, in Brooks and Alvarado, you've got a right back who hasn't played well for the national team ever, I, I don't think, and you've got a, a left back. Oh, I know you're critical about Timothy Chandler. Well, I mean, look, I just, it's not. I, I don't. It's not that I don't think he's a good player on some level. It's just that he doesn't. Sh- whatever for whatever reason, it doesn't work with the U.S. And he seems to be 
out of sorts. He doesn't seem to have a relationship with whoever's in front of him. He doesn't seem to know when to track back, or, you know, when to sit back and when to get forward. He always seems to be laboring. I, at one point last night, Honduras was creating a chance. Timmy Chandler is two yards from the ball and doesn't even make a, a feint towards it to, to, to attempt yeah. to break up a, a, an attack. And I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's, he doesn't care. I don't know if it was, he was too damn hot. I don't know what it was. No, something that, didn't, that caught my mind today was why was there so many defenders on the far side of the goal during the corner in the first half? If you remember that, uh, I don't. I don't. It's all kind of a blur. It was during the corner. And there was like seven or eight, six or seven players like on the far end of the Honduras um, goal. Uh, no? It was a U.S. It was a U.S. corner kick, or is it con- U.S. corner? It was a, it was I'm a US sure. Corner. I'm sure there was a set play being run. Yeah, are you, you're not talking about the first goal, are you? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, was before that. Well, I mean, if anyway, you, yeah, um, just yeah, just one question. Um, who would you want to take out for the um for the match against Haiti, in your opinion? Uh, well, I would, uh, I would put, you know, it, it depends on how how far. I mean, I know, I know you're asking me, not necessarily saying if you were Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, if you were Jurgen, <laughs> if I was Jurgen Klinsmann. Never mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I what I know you're asking me. What I mean is you're not you're asking me and not what uh, I think Klinsman will do. Uh, I I would push I would push Zardes up to to a forward position. I think you can do that against Haiti and not really w- risk a whole lot. And I think he's he needs to. You, it'd be nice to have some confidence from him scoring some goals, perhaps or scoring a goal. Uh, I would, you know, Beckerman's thirty three. And you maybe can't use him every time out. So perhaps this is a game for Mixed Discaru to step in. Um, I think Greg Garza at left back and push uh, Fabian Johnson into the midfield would be better. It would be a nice switch. Uh, on the other side, um, I, I think if Bedoya is healthy, I think you can go ahead and give him a run out as well. And then uh, center back, I, I'm, I'm swapping out one of those guys for Omar Gonzalez. I'm, I guess I'm thinking Alvarado. Yeah, yeah, that, that seems perfectly fine. But um, you got to remember that this Haiti side gave Panama battle. So no, I real, I real, I realize that. But that's that's still a strong enough team to win that game. But by and I, I, I'm if you you could start Zardes with Dempsey. You still got Dempsey on the field. You still got Michael Bradley leading the charge. I think Discarud, while he can be choppy, is a, is a decent enough player to create uh, some chances and, and play that. I mean, he's not a he's not a natural holding midfielder, but he can play the role. Um, especially if the U.S. is going to have more of the ball, as they probably will against Haiti. I don't think Haiti's got the, the athletes to press them the way the Honduras did. So that's less of a concern. And now we've got a natural, uh, we've got a natural left back in Greg Garza in there. Pushing Fabian Johnson to the midfield helps with that possession as well. Helps to be more dangerous up the flank. And then, uh, on the right side, I, I didn't pick a new right back, but I would like to see a new right back. And uh, you know why not? Why not somebody like Brad Evans, who at least I know is going to be pretty smart and not make a whole lot of mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed by him, Brad Evans, last night as well. Yeah. He did. He made a difference for them. He yeah. Did. You got anything else? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. All right, appreciate no, the call. Thanks, Jason. There goes Roberto. Let's uh, switch over and talk to uh, Bill in New York. What's up, Bill? Hey, how's it going, Jason? I think I'm officially an old man now with this topic. I'm going to bring up about the national team. Okay. Does it hurt anybody that Joe Altidore doesn't put his hand over his heart? Oh my goodness! Here we go. Here we go, Bill. Have you ever given a? Here we go, Bill. Have you given a reason like it? Is it a political reason? Or I, a I don't. Reason I don't know. Do it? 
I don't know, Bill. I, I don't. Maybe he feels Haitian enough that he just doesn't want to do it. I don't know. And I don't, you know, if I thought for a second that Josie Altidore was showing up every time the national team calls him up and not putting forth an effort or, uh, or only, you know, only there for glory or something, then I, I'd have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with this. And, I, and again, well, he's always. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, well, no, he's always going to put the effort up because this betters his career. <laughs> but you're representing our country. Okay. Uh, you know, because if you look down the line, when they show, they can the whole team, the players on the bench, every single player has their hand over their heart, and it just irks me. I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm officially an old man now. Did he? Did he? I, did he sing the anthem, Bill? I don't know. You were looking too. You I, were. I you were so focused in on the man's chest and his hand, and whether it was there or not, that you didn't even notice if he was singing the na- the national anthem. I don't think he was. <laughs> okay, well, I, I don't know. I I would need to confirm that because I did not. Uh, I I did not see whether or not he was singing, uh, but you know, mainly because I'm sort of over this. I'm over this issue. And and while in a perfect world, Bill, I would love for us to have an international game populated by players who are so passionate about representing their country that there are no questions. I realize where we are. This world has shrunk quite a bit. We are a nation of immigrants. Um, we are a nation that has sent our fighting men overseas and where they have fathered children who have grown up in the German soccer system. The, the, I hate to take a cynical view, but they're all American. They're all eligible. They're all, if they all want to play, I'm more than happy to have them. And I'm not going to get too wrapped up in whether they're singing or, or have their hands over their heart. I just, I, I am an American and I'm proud of that. And I grew up in a military family. And that brings an extra little bit of patriotism my way, but I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily going to go throw some stones at, at, at Josie Alto for his hand or Timmy Chandler if he doesn't know the lyrics. I mean, I, I'm just not going to do that. All right. Well, I'm sorry to bring that up. No, it's okay. It's okay. Can okay. I bring up one more thing about Red Bull? Yes, sir. Um, they keep talking now about DPs, and I'm not hearing anything coming from the Red Bulls. And I actually heard some people saying, well, you know, they can't sign the big name Red Bull. They can't sign the big name DP. Why is that? We had Henri and Cahill last year. Wait, who we said that? getting the biggest DP in the league. Who said that, Bill? I keep hearing people on different podcasts. I keep hearing, ah, they're not going to go for the big DP. Oh, you know, do you know what? They, well, well, no, but, but what they're saying is from a, they're, they're speaking from a practical point of view. They're, thinking, they're speaking from what is pretty clear from the approach that Red Bull corporate has laid out for this team. They, they drew, you know, Thierry Henry retires, they drop Tim Cahill or they, they move him along. They've, re, they've reformed this team very much in a, you know, for New York by relative standards, a budget minded image. They, they have the money to go out and buy a DP or, or sign a DP. They just don't want to do it. And I just don't understand why not, you know, and I would think the league would be putting pressure on them to sign a big DP. Well, what what can you the know, league, the league is going to tell the boys in Austria how to spend their cash? I mean, the league can put all the pressure they want on New York. Uh, it's not going to make a difference if, if the corporate owners don't want to spend. Now, um, I don't think it's a matter of, or should they, or, or what, or can they? I think it's a matter of whether or not it's best for their team. And, and certainly, they seem to have a plan in place, and Ali Curtis has got 300 pages, and it maybe it doesn't, maybe nowhere in those 300 pages, I think it's actually out there somewhere, but maybe nowhere in that 300 pages, Bill, does it say, sign big name DP? Yeah, because I, I think we're hanging on by a thread. 
You know, BWP, who is our DP, who really isn't a DP, most he wouldn't be. He would probably be that core player that they're talking about now. Sure. If he goes down, we're we're in bad shape. You know, we need we need a big striker up there. We need somebody. And I, I thought there'd be some rumors out there right now about a big striker coming to New York. And I'm hearing none of it. Nothing. Well, I, I mean, not not that I would expect him to step right in and score the the, the number of goals that BWP did, and uh, but whatever. I mean, you know, Abong is a nice talent. At least you have that going for you. I'm not sure. Again, you don't want to hand the keys to the kid, but he scored a yeah. very nice goal last weekend, and he's got he's obviously got some ability. I, I, you know, this is MLS, and it's difficult because depth is always going to be hard. You say we don't have anybody to turn to if if BWP goes down, but. You know, you'd be starting that player uh, at the same time as BWP. You got to find room for him in the lineup. You got to find a a formation that works with the other pieces that you have with uh, the Clustons and McCarty's um, of the world and 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 Felipe and everybody else. I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not defending the Red Bulls not signing a big name player, but I'm saying a big name player doesn't necessarily make them a lot better, Bill. No, and, and like I think New York City is gonna have a tough time with their big name players. You know, that's the Jason Christ, that's the anti-Jason Christ signing these three big-name players. That's yeah, not the is. way he, he's yeah, built his teams in the past, and I think they're going to have a tough time. But I just, I'm, there's, there's no talk at all, and there's really very little talk about anybody coming into this team, and the window's open now, and mm-hmm. I thought there would be some talk about it. Yeah, you know, it is weird that the Red Bulls don't have that buzz around them. I mean, it's all been up north in, in the Bronx, and I don't think uh, maybe that's part of... Um, I mean, that's part of the attitude with the Rebels. Maybe the attitude is let them go spend the big money and make the big splashes, and we'll just be the more successful team. And when it comes down to it, we'll be the one standing uh, come playoff time, and, and we'll use that as our advantage. Which I'd be very happy with, you know. But uh, like I said, I think we're hanging on by a thread, and I think any one of our players goes down, we're going to need somebody, and I'm just surprised I'm not mm. hearing anything about a DP. That's need all. somebody. Bill needs somebody. Thanks for the call, Bill. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. All right. 646-832-3909. If you have thoughts, comments, concerns, questions on anything we've covered today or anything else in the world of soccer for that matter, maybe you want to call in about Tottenham's new stadium, which uh, looks great, I guess. You know, it's pretty. The the renderings of the Spurs stadium, which apparently is going to host two NFL games a year because we're just creeping closer and closer to a an NFL franchise uh, in London, is that the right thing for them to do? I don't know. Whatever. I don't like the NFL in London thing. I'm not a big fan of that. Just I would be uh, equally as opposed to the 39th game in the States or whatever Whatever they would end up calling that thing. They played any competitive match, any really, truly important competitive match outside of England, that would be weird. And uh, I, I mean, uh, for, and there's also there's a little bit of provincialism on my part. Stay off of my turf. This is, you know, this is MLS, NESL, USL turf. We've got American leagues that people can go out and watch. We don't need your uh, Premier League product coming over here. It might be the, the best thing for them business-wise. But um, it is not really true to the, to the spirit of the, of the league and of the game, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, again, I say that about the NFL. I say that about the Premier League as well. Let's go to uh, Robert. In L.A., what's going on, Robert? Did you get enough shots of Pinto and Klinsman last night on television? <laughs> oh, it was very funny, yeah. What's on your mind today, Why Robert? Why are you coming Yeah, you know, it was, yeah. I did get enough, but... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, since yesterday we had, a uh, no, the, the women's team was here in, uh, in, uh, downtown, like, you know, uh, at Rally Point. Yeah. I was just thinking about, and then they're also, like, talking about, like, next summer, you know, with the Olympics and how they're going to try and keep that court game. Do you think that it's, they're still going to get big rains for, um, uh, just soccer in general, because also next summer, I know it's, like, a year away, but do you think, uh, they can capitalize on it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that the U.S. women will have a nice little bump and, and people will start paying attention to them. I mean, uh, next summer's a long way away, Robert. Who knows if they can maintain the momentum all the way through. I mean, I, I would hope that people watch NWSL and I would hope that people will pay attention to whatever this team does between now and 2016. Uh, but yeah, there's never reason to think that, that people will, uh, will stick, not, you know, I don't know that they'll watch the Olympics in, in the numbers that are 27,000, 27 million or whatever that is, but they'll watch. Yeah. Well, I think like maybe this whole year they will, because, uh, you know, they're going to go on their, the, the victory tour all around, the all around the country. And it's, it's, uh, the Olympics going to be in Brazil. So still be, uh, prime time or good good showing hours for uh, the American audience. Yeah, I, I agree. Here here you here you go, Robert. I It's not, it's not a bad way to celebrate. I believe that we just won. Maybe there's a different tweak on it. It's not, I don't know if it's the best, but it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, uh, can't wait to see what... Yeah, and a credit to, uh, to Los Angeles area for pulling that off like, in, within like you know, 24 hours. Now, can't wait to see what they do in New York on uh, Friday. Absolutely. And there's going to be a City Hall presentation, City Hall uh, a ceremony there in New York. Uh, the two biggest uh, cities in the country blowing it off the blowing off the doors for the U.S. women. Good stuff, Robert. You got anything else? Uh, yeah, real fast. If it's not asking too much, could I get a uh, soccer jersey number? Uh, sure. What do I what do I got open for you right now, Robert? I think you're I think you're more than deserving. Let me see. Soccer morning shirt numbers. I mean, I've only got I've only got a couple of people who have who have managed to get the honor. Uh, Washington's number five. Rick and Philly's number fourteen. Eddie in Brooklyn is seven. We gave Roberto number 13, even though he was all super confused, and we'll give Robert. What do you want, Robert? 11. 11. Good stuff. Nobody wants that 10 shirts. Just too much pressure. Robert, appreciate the phone call, man. All right, thank you. There you go. Robert has been endowed with a uh, soccer morning shirt number. Uh, for anybody who's confused about what the hell that means, it just means I'm honoring you. I'm giving you, as a, a regular caller who brings it every time you call uh, and is consistent, Giving you a, a shirt number on the imaginary soccer morning collar team that we're not putting together for real. If we actually ever did put it together, I'm not sure we would beat anybody, but it would be fun. Um, as for this bill issue with Josie Oster, I don't want to dwell on it, but uh, Womp X Stomp on Twitter. Bill, what law says we have to put our hand over our heart? Lots of us don't. Some of us put our hands behind our back and don't sing. I, I think as long as you are paying your respects, um, as long as you are standing still and paying attention, I'm not going to really have an issue. Now, you know, there are certain hand gestures you're not going to be able to do. I'm not cool with that. 
But if you're just standing there, and maybe you have your hands behind your back, maybe you're uh, you're singing the song in your head. I, I just I don't I don't want to make a big issue out of this. I just don't. I, I I mean I'm a stickler for rules a lot of times. I'm not gonna be a stickler for these rules, especially in the modern world where uh, national identity is a very fluid thing. In 2015, it just is. Just a very fluid thing. So we talked about uh, Tottenham and that uh, stadium plan, the NFL playing there. They're going to have a, one of those retractable grass fields or something. I don't know. Something like uh, they got it in, in Phoenix, which I think will work. Um, obviously, the NFL can do what, as Stephen Clark says, the NFL can do what they want at this point. Um, it's not as if they're worried about fan retention, only expansion. What, I wonder what's that, what that's like. If you work in the, in the offices of, of the National Football League and you never really have to worry about losing fans, it just doesn't happen. You can have a concussion scandal. You can have, um, domestic violence issues. You can have all of these things. Drug scare. I mean, uh, drug issues, drug scandals. Uh, PEDs, all of it. You can have all of those things and you're not going to lose fans. You just know you're not going to lose any fans. They're going to stick around and you're probably only going to get bigger. And I don't, I'm not necessarily sitting here rooting for the NFL to fail. I have a NFL team that I live and die with every weekend during the NFL season, but you have to wonder if there's some sort of bubble there, right? So is, is there an NFL bubble or is, is that going to burst or is that just they're just going to go up and up and up and up and up and up and up until one day we live in the United States of the National Football League and the commissioner is is our leader and we televise, you know, uh, the, everything is based on what team you support and uh, you're we're divided into tribes. I mean, I don't know some dystopian future in which the National Football League dominates every, every, every aspect of life. Seems like that's a possibility. All right, let's wrap this up. Thank you very much to Charlie Bohm, MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com, for joining us and breaking down the U.S. win over Honduras last night, the U.S. women, and a little bit about the uh, development issues facing MLS as they sign big names like Andrea Pirlo. Go follow him, C-B-O-E-H-M, on the Twitters. Thanks for listening. Be back tomorrow. Go to ba- go to backheel.com slash store. Buy a mug. Go to 3nailfc.com. Buy a t-shirt. Uh, go to iTunes. Give us a rating and review. Oh, and go get Bindle on your phone. It's a chat thing. There's a room. Hashtag soccer morning. Join us there. It's pretty cool. I want to try it out. Build a community. Hey, let's do that. See you there. Bye.